If you know me, you know that I love big screen movies. I love the kind of movies that assemble superhero teams. For me, going to the theater doesn't get any better than a big screen, a big tub of popcorn, a package or two of Twizzlers, and my sweetie pie next to me, tolerating that we're going to that movie. I love to sink back into the reclining seats if I can get, get one. And then for two or three hours, enjoy an action-packed, conflict-driven, hero-emerging, storytelling tale. The Fantastic Four, Justice League America, Guardians of the Galaxy, and for me, the best of all, the Avengers. Now, you would think the reason why this is my favorite movie going is because of the, the loud pows or the climactic scenes or the splashy outfits or even some of the comedic little silly banter. But in truth, I'm fascinated in that almost every movie takes the time to tell what's known as an origin story or a backstory. In other words, every one of those superheroes has a history of how they discovered their superhero gift and then how that gift began to develop and how they began to use it with greater and greater confidence and ultimately greater and greater success often against great odds and serious adversity. Eventually, this individual backstory comes together as this unique person becomes part of a larger team, flaws and all, a team that's united with a common purpose. And so my love of hearing many backstories makes me really excited to share this morning the next scripture in our spiritual gifts series, Same God Empowered by His Spirit. You know, the truth is, there's thousands of better preachers out there than me, but I would have fought them all for the opportunity to share with you this morning. Because the two verses that we're going to look at teaches a, a core scriptural principle about spiritual gifts that I'm deeply passionate about. And the reason I'm so passionate is I think sometimes it's very misunderstood and our view is much too small. So it's my prayer that in the next, oh, half an hour that we'll all kind of grow in our understanding and embrace the truth. And here it is. Good stewards of God's varied grace uniquely use their spiritual gifts for his glory. Normally, this is where I would ask you to open your Bibles and to whip open your smartphones. But this morning, I'm going to lead us in a responsive reading. You get to help me read the scripture. It should be projected behind me. I'm going to read first. And if you'll just reply, because you're all in this exercise. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 to 11 say this. As each has received a gift, as good stewards, 
Whoever speaks. Whoever serves. In order that in everything, to him belong glory and dominion. This is so crucial. As each has received a gift, as good stewards, just bow your heads as I pray. Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts, change our lives. Let us leave different than when we first came in. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So my first encouragement to us this morning is that as good stewards, we start by acknowledging the spiritual gifts that you, if you're a follower of Christ, you have received. Last Sunday, I was sitting in the same seats that you're sitting in, and Tanner began our series by looking at Ephesians chapter 4, and it's focused on what he termed gifted leaders or traits of gifted leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. We sort of called it apest. And, and I was really pleased knowing what I was going to share with you this morning when he honed in for a moment, and he reminded us of what the apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4, 7, that grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. And on reading that, he encouraged us to point to ourselves and say, that's me. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? This week in our scripture, the apostle Peter reminds us once again that as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. And just like last week, we can point to ourselves now and say, that's me. Every time we read the words of Peter, just like when we read the words of Paul. You see, Paul and Peter state this biblical principle as fact, non-negotiable. If you have repented of your sin and yielded to God's authority over your life, then the Spirit of God, listen, has made you a new creation and he has deposited at least one spiritual gift, if not more. It's a fact. Like, you can take that to the bank. You can count it as truth. This fact, however, Peter says, comes also with a command. You see, the deposit of a spiritual gift comes with an obligation. It comes with an expectation. We're to use it. And we're to use it in the service of others. The analogy that Peter uses here is the analogy of the steward. What exactly is a steward? What's its essence? Well, the term's not particularly common in our current culture at large. I suspect that if you've read the Bible, you've encountered this idea at least a few times. In Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve were the first stewards as God entrusted them to see over 
his creation. They were to have dominion. They were to rule. They were to take care of all that he had made. And then, from that point forward, throughout the Old Testament, the Bible points to property managers over and over and over again. Another type of steward. Because a steward doesn't work for himself necessarily. A steward works for an ultimate owner, managing money and lands and employees while the master is away. David, Solomon, every king in the scripture was a steward of God's kingdom. They did not rule in their own right, nor did they rule at the behest of the people who had chosen them, but partly as king's servants and representatives of Jehovah, the true king of Israel, they were an agent for a true and a better master. And then fast forward to the New Testament. In his public ministry and teaching, Jesus often referenced this idea of stewardship. And time won't allow me to do a deep dive, but in Luke 16, he talked about an unscrupulous manager or steward who was shrewd in his management and then a very familiar parable of the talents in Matthew 25, where he described the necessity of using whatever had been given in a wise and productive manner. Whether you received one coin, two coins, or five coins, the necessity attached was the coins were to be invested and used wisely. The heart of biblical stewardship starts, therefore, with the acknowledgement that everything we have belongs to God, including what he has given us in a spiritual gift deposit. And so once we receive it, the scriptures teach that we need to look after what we are given. You see, receiving a gift doesn't necessarily mean that the gift is automatically used. Reception requires deployment. And so that means good stewards invest and they share what they've been given, not with a sense of burden, but a sense of joyful privilege. And the results of that stewardship can either be, listen, a missed opportunity or a joyful responsibility. This morning, the Apostle Peter in this short scripture, he expands stewardship beyond just creation, beyond just property, even beyond kingdom, dominion. He expands it to spiritual stewardship. Yes, each one has received a gift but that gift comes with what I call a holy responsibility to understand and develop that gift. You see, think of it like this. Joyful stewardship is a sign that one day we will come face to face with the true master as promised. And we'll have the opportunity to give an account for how we managed exactly what he's entrusted. And so, it's, this is just one way, amongst many ways, 
that we can demonstrate how much we actually love this master and how much we're going to learn we love his bride, the church. And so my prayer for us this morning is that as good stewards, that we start by acknowledging the spiritual gifts that we have in fact received as we carefully begin to consider what those gifts are and how we are to use them with both wisdom and with joy. In the scripture that we looked at this morning, Peter says, as good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And so my second encouragement is that as we start to think about being good stewards, how can we celebrate the uniqueness of God's gift to you to meet the needs of others? You see, Peter not only exhorts us to use our gifts, but I love what he does. He gives us a sense of the great variety of gifts distributed. It's what Peter memorably calls God's varied grace. Many times I do team highlights when I'm pointing out teams that we could join. And this is my sort of go-to when I'm thinking about the rich tapestry available. Grace here in Peter's description in the original language is, is a gift that is graciously given. It's not forced upon someone. And varied is that form of distribution within the church that we're to exercise giftedness. It's best understood with not a narrow understanding, but with the widest range of possibilities available. And so to help me sort of illustrate this principle, perhaps in a ministry setting that may be um, uh, uh, understandable by you and, and approachable, I'm going to invite Meg Lewis. Meg is the director of Redemption Kids. Come on out, let's give it up for Meg. And Meg, thanks for coming and agreeing to come out and, and help me to sort of illustrate one of my points this morning. And so could you just start off by telling us a little bit about volunteerism in Redemption Kids? I would be happy to, Pastor Reddy. My name is Meg Lewis, and I'm the kids director, and I serve alongside about 40 other volunteers. Um, you can see some of their faces back there. Uh, they each serve about once a month. We're all the same in that we love Jesus, and we love interacting with kids, um, but there are many differences between us. Some of us might prefer babies, toddlers, or kids, and God has gifted us all in different ways. Yeah, I love hearing about sort of what holds you guys together in that focal point and that mission that you follow. Can you tell me a little bit more about maybe some of the wide range of individuals that serve within Redemption Kids? Yeah, so everyone leads the classroom in a slightly different way. Um, for example, I can think of Cindy Prophet. So she teaches middle and high school math for a living, and anyone who meets her, it's very clear to them that she has the gift of teaching. Um, if she can take a Bible lesson and perfectly mold it, if she's teaching toddlers or fifth graders, she has the perfect age developmentally appropriate lesson, and it's very engaging to them. If you're looking in her classroom, all the kids are sitting there on the floor, their chins resting peacefully in their hands, and they're, you know, enraptured by her. 
Um, so clearly she has the gift of teaching. I, she just taught, I think, um, about a month ago in the pre-K class, and she came up to me afterwards, and she said, uh, Meg, it was awesome. The kids, it was like magic. They were so amazing today. I think it must have been that new schedule that we just implemented. And I can tell you it wasn't the schedule. It was Cindy and her giftedness. It was God in Cindy. Yeah. But then I, not everyone has to teach for a living, so John Topic is an example of someone who's not a teacher by trade. He's an engineer. He has an engineer mind, but I love seeing how he brings that God-given gift into a classroom of five-year-olds. I think about when he had them construct uh, an altar out of sticks or Jericho out of Legos or when he used his artistic abilities to sketch out the Bible story on the board for them to um, copy. Yeah, that's great. Um, what if somebody doesn't perceive that teaching is necessarily their spiritual gift? How does that work in Redemption Kids? Fair point. Um, so let me bring up Mason Donaldson as an example. So she serves by giving up her time to set up the classroom, or the, basically the whole hallway to get ready for us every morning. She comes early, and then she sits at the table. You can see it right there, and she greets families and checks them in as they come. Um, and what makes her unique is that I believe she has the gift of encouragement. She's sitting there with a smile on her face, joyfully receiving families, uh, and the words, I wanted to encourage you by telling you that, frequently come out of her mouth. And so she doesn't even really directly interact with kids, and she's still bringing her gifts to the table. And I also think of Jason Liu, who does serve in the grades one to five classroom, but one of the greatest ways he serves doesn't even happen on a Sunday morning. It happens when he brings the gift of faith to faithfully pray for the kids by name. And Jason has, uh, I guess, like a, a hope for their spiritual futures in a way that builds me up. That's great. Is there anything else that you think we should know? I mentioned several adults working with us, but you might not know that you don't have to be an adult to serve in Redemption Kids. Some of my favorite volunteers are the teenagers. Um, I used to be a high school teacher, so I particularly love them. Uh, but I think I can give you lots of examples, but I'll bring to mind Nate and Jaden Burns, who came up to me recently and said, hey, can we start serving? I said, great. And they jumped right in, and they have been awesome. God has gifted them in a way to connect with kids really well. Um, Nate was serving just uh, a couple weeks ago, and he saw me in the lobby afterwards, and he said, can I help you next week? Which is amazing. That's clear to me that that is the gift of serving. Romans 12 tells us that serving is a spiritual gift. And if so, then those boys are demonstrating the gift. Whether it's serving, teaching, encouraging, using musical abilities, artistic abilities, or even ninja fast diaper changing skills. <laughs> there you go. I don't have that gift. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Everyone brings a different gift to Redemption Kids, and I'm so grateful to God for that, that he's so distinctly gifted us in different ways. And as I was preparing for this interview, yes. I was just filled with gratitude for everyone who helps in Redemption Kids. Um, because of how important it is to God's mission. And so, to express my gratitude, uh, there will be an ice cream bar after church in the kids' hallway for all the Redemption Kids volunteers. So come go. on up and grab one. All right. <laughs> Meg, thank you. Um, yeah, spiritual gifts of teaching, encouragement, faith, serving. Pretty broad, right? Pretty, pretty 
variable all coming together in just one environment to be able to see God's mission move forward. And so I'd be a bad pastor if I didn't uh, just commend Redemption Kids as a place for you to discover and explore and apply what you suspect may be emerging spiritual gifts. They need volunteers in nursery and toddlers and pre-K. They can use some assistant team leaders. And apparently they can use some ninja diaper changing spiritual gifts. That one wasn't on my list. In this morning's scripture, Peter himself illustrates this principle of God's varied grace. He names two distinct and different possibilities, speaking and serving, word and deed. Now, as Pastor Turley indicated last week, we're going to cover all five major texts within the New Testament that discuss spiritual gifts. And all of them list some spiritual gifts, but none of them list all spiritual gifts. It's, it's not exhaustive. And I think that's one of the reasons I suspect that we struggle with the challenge of thinking about our spiritual gifts. Simply, sometimes when we read one of these major texts, like 1 Peter 4, we can feel a pressure to narrowly fit whatever picture we have in our head about that specific spiritual gift or whatever are the few observable and celebrated gifts within the life of the church. And if the dominant idea that comes to your imagined or observed spiritual gift doesn't precisely match exactly what your experience has had to date, then sometimes I encounter Christians that feel confused, that feel disenfranchised, or they feel paralyzed. They're just not even sure what to do with that. And so in the next few moments, I'm going to take the liberty and share seven very quick insights about God's varied grace. And I'm hoping that we'll sort of open up our understanding and perhaps give some newfound freedom in your exploration of spiritual gifts. So let's get started. First, let me just state what is really obvious. The scriptures do point to a creative variety of spiritual gifts that are available to the local church uh, through its people empowered by the Spirit. Depending upon what scholar you talk to, there's at least 19 to 29-ish gifts that are listed as examples throughout the New Testament and even echoed a little bit in the Old Testament. Personally, and this is a personal opinion, I suspect that because the lists are given as samples, that there are gifts that God deposits in his church that are not even listed. And so my personal list would be 29 with a little plus in the corner. An example of that, a simple one, would be worship leading is clearly not listed in any of those texts. And yet we as a people, we sort of intuitively sense that when we come together, there are folks that are uniquely gifted to guide God's people into corporate worship through music right? Have you experienced that? And so that would be one sort of simple example. So that's the most obvious. Second, last week, Tanner mentioned that when it comes to spiritual gifts, sometimes we get a little confused around the difference between a general call to obedience that every Christian has, a growing heart 
of affinity towards God's heart and disposition and the deposit of a spiritual gift that's dynamic. So let me use another example that might help us to reinforce, because I think we struggle here, and that is the idea of Christian hospitality. Hebrews 13.2 tells us that all Christians are called to hospitality to strangers. It is simply a command to understand and to follow. Regardless of our personal giftedness, it is a grace as Christians that we extend to others as a mercy reflection for what we have received from Christ himself. And so even for the most hesitant person who doesn't see themselves as hospitable, it is hoped that over time, with Christian maturity, it's quite possible that you can find your heart becoming more sensitive and more in sync with God's heart for welcoming others and creating safe spaces for them. And you may even, as that heart grows, you may even get better at it and grow some skills. And that's wonderful. That's good for you. However, it's also true that in the life of the church, there will be those who have a clear dispensation of God's empowerment that just it outstrips the mere development of just a greater heart and a skill that's growing. Over time, it becomes clear to that person as well as those folks that are surrounding them that somehow God is moving beyond their personal competency, beyond their wildest capacity. And he's doing something that's fundamentally miraculous as they exercise a spiritual gift of hospitality. And the results of that will be plain for people to see. There will be extreme fruitfulness and there will be corporate fulfillment as we all see it and celebrate that deposit in that person. Third, as a related consideration, we must understand that all individuals in our presence are at different times in their spiritual journey. Now this like sounds really obvious, but I think sometimes it gets us confused as the people of God. Yes, at the moment of repentance and conversion, God gives us his spirit and a deposit of at least one spiritual gift. But right now in this theater and viewing online, we are a collection of individuals with different starting points in time. And therefore, as the body of Christ, we may have different points in our understanding, in our development, and in our release. And so sometimes we attended, we were tempted to look and see and compare our starting point or our place with somebody who has been growing in the Lord for 30 years. And we have to understand that we have different starting points. And then closely related to that is our fourth, my fourth point, that many times we're going to see great variety in the spiritual gifts in the depth of the development. In some cases, a new follower of Christ, someone who's just come to saving faith, doesn't even know what they don't know. They haven't had an opportunity to learn. They're early in their discovery. Maybe that's where you're at right now. And that's okay. The encouragement is to keep reading and learning and experiencing and praying. In some cases, access to good teaching and faithful discipleship 
is lacking. It breaks my heart. I hope may it never be that the case here at Redemption Hill Church. For me, early in my Christian walk, I was blessed to have a seasoned saint named Cam. She saw God's spiritual gift deposit in me, and she began to call it out. And as she began to call it out, she began to walk alongside me to develop that gift. And, and quite honestly, her assistance to me during that time was invaluable because I was struggling in beginning maturity. Sometimes the difference in the depth of development, unfortunately, is spiritual apathy. Sometimes that apathy for us, it can lead to disinterest and no growth. It's like the person in the parable of the talents that gets a coin and then takes and buries that coin. It breaks the heart of God. For we're called to increasing, not hiding. As we consider why we see such variety in our discussions of spiritual gifts, my fifth consideration would have us look back at last week's scripture again, Ephesians 4, 7. Remember, Paul told us there, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. It does seem as though there's degrees of strength or different levels of deposit in spiritual giftedness from one person to another, kind of what I would call a spectrum or a scale. And, and really, this shouldn't surprise us even in that parable of the talents, we read that each servant received different coins with no apparent explanation as to why. It just was the master's sovereign choice. Six, when we're thinking about God's varied grace, we should consider what I call environments of application. It's a terrible term. Tanner hates it, but it's the best I can come up with right now. And it's the settings where our spiritual gifts seem to flow most naturally. In the life of the church, there's multiple ministries with multiple ministry settings. You might serve in a highly personal way. You might serve within a structured team. You might be on a team that leads teams. You might even be serving the church universal outside the four walls. But regardless of where you're serving, every single one of us probably have an ideal environment, a setting where we experience a sense of this is the right place, this is the right scope, and there our giftedness thrives. Let me look back at the gift of hospitality. I can, I can see a spiritual gift of hospitality in several people, and one person thrives in their home when they're inviting people into their personal space. I can see the same spiritual deposit of hospitality in somebody who thrives in a group setting. A classroom comes alive. The workplace pulls people in. I can see people that have a spiritual gift of hospitality and they thrive in the crowd. I think of the anniversary celebration that we had last October, and there's individuals there who 
just created such a warm and inviting experience, especially coming off of the pandemic. We all needed that welcome that we received. Some did it through a connections team where they're meeting folks spontaneously. Some came early to church and sat in their seat and just turned to someone new, what we call the ministry of the chair. And those two seats was the setting for hospitality. And some spent time in advance thinking about what does a hospitable environment look like when the crowd actually comes. All of these rich places of seeing the spiritual gift of hospitality expressed is wonderful, but it can be confusing. Because what if I'm the person where hospitality is extended out of my home and I'm comparing myself to the hospitality that flows out of a crowd and they don't look the same? We get confused, we get defeated, and we can surrender. And so my encouragement is that we continue to look at where God is allowing them. And then finally, if these weren't enough to create a sense of God's varied grace, there's my last observation that in some instances, God deposits multiple gifts. And his varied grace operates in several different ways in individuals in lots of combinations. You may experience what I call gift mix. It's a blending of more than one spiritual gift that sort of makes up your spiritual personality. It's likely that one of your gifts, if that's your situation, might feel or appear more dominant and more recognizable than another. It's possible that unique circumstances might allow a spiritual gift to emerge more easily. It's possible that there may be a season of dormancy and you're discovering that second deposit or third deposit as God gives you new opportunities where that gift is necessary and required. My encouragement is it's likely that as you wrestle with that possibility, those may present clues to you about your unique calling in life and ministry. Yes, respond to the general call that goes out to all Christians, but as he deposits a spiritual gift into you generally, as he begins to deposit multiple gifts, it might give you an idea of where you end up investing your primary ministry focused time. These quick observations, I'm hoping, and I shared this with the, uh, the, the music team when we were warming up, I'm hoping that it broadens our view of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are dynamic, they're not static. They're more like a video than a photograph. They're fluid, they're active, they don't stand alone, they don't operate in isolation generally. They're just one part of who we are as vessels of service within the church. Spiritual gifts are impacted by our passions, our skills, our personalities, and even our experiences. My heart breaks because unfortunately, sometimes spiritual gifts can appear more valued than others. And maybe some of them are just more observable in public than those that maybe operate behind the scenes and in smaller arenas. Maybe one gift appears on first look to be more sensational, more power-packed. 
and others may be a little more ordinary. But we've got to fight to remember and remind each other that all spiritual gifts are supernaturally endowed by God's varied grace. All should be valued. All should be celebrated. Beginning with you. It needs to start with you. But then also growing to the church at large. And so my prayer for us this morning is that as God's, as good stewards, we celebrate the uniqueness in all of its magnificent variety, all of its complexity of God's gift to you and to us for the benefit of others. And then quickly, my final encouragement for us this morning is that as good stewards, we should seek God, the great giver, and we should seek his glory at all times. Peter wraps up by saying, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So I'm going to ask you, I want you to think about this. When it comes to spiritual gifts, why is it that God deserves the glory? I know that it seems obvious, but think about it for a second. When we think of spiritual gifts, do we think about God and his gifts? Or do we think about God in his gifts? I'm going to quote uh, a, a pastor that I've been reading lately. And he says, spiritual gifts are not God bestowing to his people something external to himself. They're not some tangible stuff or a substance that's separable from God. Spiritual gifts are nothing less than God himself in us, energizing our souls, imparting revelations to our minds, infusing the power of our wills, and working his sovereign and his gracious purposes through us. Spiritual gifts are God present in, with, and through human thought, human deeds, human words, and human love. God gets the glory not because we're so good at doing spiritual gifts, God gets the glory because it is he who initiates. It is he who supplies. And anything good that we accomplish, we accomplish with him. So one of the best tests of the good stewardship of spiritual gifts is this. Who gets the glory? When you came in, our Connections team handed you uh, Vision 2022 Empowered Card. I hope if you have it, pull it out just for a quick second. And there, you'll see we took some time as a leadership team and we tried to listen and say, Lord, what, are you, what do you want from your people here for this coming year? And we saw people gifted by God's Spirit for the good of others, exactly what Peter's talking about. So far, so good. Lots of deeds of mercy and kindness. Hospitality is one of them. Sort of sounds like what we've been talking about this morning. But I want to turn our attention to the back end of it where it says that it will lead to story after story of the supernatural becoming natural and listen, 
and God's love going public. Whose love goes public? Whose love goes public? Yeah. We'll be empowered to be living and loving, but it's his name that gains the fame. And so my prayer for us this morning is that as good stewards that we seek God for he is the great giver and we seek his glory at all times. Earlier, I told you that I loved the Avengers and so uh, nerds in here, listen up. Um, in the film Endgame, there's this climactic scene that culminates in a crescendo of climax. And the arch villain and his evil army is overcoming the good guys and defeats Eminent and all hope appears to be lost. And then Captain America shouts an iconic, memorable line. And I know the nerds here know it. Avengers, assemble! And when this occurred in the theater that I was in, you could feel the energy one by one, unique superhero after unique superhero picked themselves up off the ground and they formed like this wall of intention. And then as one, they committed to the task at hand and they overcame great evil. And, and the theater is like going wild. My poor wife had no idea what that was all about, but they're going wild, right? This is a true story. In that movement, moment, I was really emotionally moved. The filmmaking was powerful. But my mind was asking this question. What if the Church of Jesus Christ assembled? What if the Apostle Peter was standing here right now and he shouted, Church! Assemble! What if every single follower of Jesus recognized that they had been given at least one spiritual gift by God himself? At RHC, we celebrate the rich diversity that God is bringing together here. And that diversity includes race and ethnicity, language, vocation, income, even age. But what if we expanded our awareness to celebrate diversity in spiritual giftedness as well? What if collectively we rejoiced in God's varied grace? Can you imagine the impact that that would have on our region? A church full of people discovering their unique design and week after week exuberant celebrations as we're walking in lockstep with God's spirit so that one day his name will be elevated as people see him working in and with and through us. If it can be imagined, then it can be acted upon. And if we embrace God's varied grace with such humility and such unity amongst ourselves, what if?
So let's resolve this morning, right now, to begin to just grow in our confidence. The fact that God has given you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a spiritual gift. If you're not sure what it is, let's resolve to discover it in all of its uniqueness and all of the varied grace that Peter talks about. Let's resolve to develop it. Let's trust that through wisdom and counsel, trial and error, affirmation and encouragement, that we will grow in our impact because we have a God that's on the move. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your choice. It actually confounds me at times to deposit varied and precious spiritual gifts in your body. We thank you, Father. Jesus, help us to serve your body well. Help us to be faithful as you are faithful, as good stewards in your name. Spirit of God, grant us supernatural strength and growing maturity even as we discover and release all that you impart. For it is in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen and amen.